Well, good morning. I'm so glad to see all of you here today. Uh, we're beginning a brand new sermon series today, just a two-week series called Where Are You Headed? Where Are You Headed? Now, these fine-looking guys right here is going to help me get this board. Aren't these some fine-looking young men you see right here? Yeah. I know some mamas that all don't say amen to that, but we'll just let that one go. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been tempted? Now, now, you don't have to tell me out loud. You don't have to say this to anybody else. But have you ever been tempted to stop following Jesus? H- have you ever been tempted to stop believing? Have you ever wrestled with the thoughts of what Christians are and who Christians are and what Christians should do? And I mean, really, just honest now. Have you ever, you don't have to tell me out loud, but have you ever been tempted to stop following Jesus? If you have, you're not the first. When you think of people following Jesus, you usually think of large crowds. Now, he didn't start out with a large crowd. His first followers, how many did he he have? This is not a hard question. How many did he have his first followers? Come on now, I'm getting nervous. Maybe you're saying I I can't hear you. How many did he have? Twelve. All right, he started out with twelve followers. Started out with 12, 12 people that followed him around as, we call them apostles. We sometimes call them disciples, but in reality, uh, there are lots of other folks that were disciples, but the apostles were the ones called by Jesus and later sent out by Jesus. And so he started out with 12, but he didn't stay with 12. As he continued to go from town to town, from village to village, as he continued to teach and preach, other people began to follow as well. In fact, he got quite a lot of followers just seemed like perhaps every village that he went into, he had more and more followers. He'd go into a village, and all, he would leave with more people than he came in with, more followers than he came in with. There were followers that came to, because they were hungry. There were followers that came because they wanted to see the show. There were followers that came because they'd never heard anybody teach like he taught. There were followers that came because he was just uh, someone of great excitement. They loved seeing what he was going to do next. Uh, they followed for all kinds of reasons. He had perhaps hundreds, maybe even far more than that, followers. They, they just followed him everywhere, and they listened to everything he taught. They watched the miracles. They watched him perform unbelievable miracles. He just had lots and lots and lots of followers, especially in his Galilean ministry. While he was in the northern part of Israel, in his Galilean ministry, he continued to get more and more and more and more and more followers. He had lots of followers. But one day, the large crowds stopped following. In fact, one day, even some of his disciples, I didn't say his apostles, but many of his disciples stopped following. It's a fascinating story that's in the Gospel of John. I want you to read it with me. In the Gospel of John, chapter 6. The Gospel of John, chapter 6. John chapter 6, beginning, we'll start in verse 1, because there's really a story behind the story. I, 
Our text is going to start much later in verse 66, but before we get to verse 66, and don't run ahead and look at that, try not to look at that verse. Now you're going to look at it because I told you not to. But, but try not to look at verse 66, and I want to tell you the story behind the story before we look at verse 66. The story behind the story begins in chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after, after this, Jesus crossed to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a what? A great crowd. Now, I don't know how many is a great crowd. I, I'm not, I could keep drawing, I'm sure. I'm sure there were more people than I've drawn on this board. I probably wouldn't have room to draw the number of people that, that were following him on this board. But there was a great crowd of people that, that was following him. It says in verse 2, And a great crowd of people followed him. Note that. A great crowd of people followed him because... Because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. You see, a great crowd of of people followed him because they were needy. They were curious. They wanted to see what he would do next. So a great crowd of people were following Jesus because they saw what he had done to heal the sick. Now, to fast forward because you don't have a lot of time, let me tell you how many were in the crowd. I'll give you a hint. While that large crowd was there, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, we need to feed these guys. I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere. We need to feed these guys. And and so they fed them with, I think it was five loaves of bread and two fish. So how many were in the crowd? Say it again. There were how many? Wrong. There were 5,000 men in the crowd. Wherever you got a, a man, you got a good woman behind him, right? I knew I'd get some women saying amen there. I mean, how do you think the men even made it there? What time's he coming? I don't know. But we better, I don't know. So there were at least 5,000 men. Probably lots of those had their wives or girlfriends with them, and probably some of those had their kids with them. Because if I'm one of those folks, and I know that Jesus is coming by, and I've got some kids, I don't want my kids to miss it. I'm going to make sure Kelly's there, and Jonathan's there, and Lauren's there. I don't want my kids to miss it. So I'm going to take all of my kids, and and we're going to go see Jesus. So, in this large crowd that was following Jesus that day, There were at least 5,000, but perhaps 10,000 if everybody had a wife or a girlfriend. Maybe 15,000 if everybody had a child or two with them. It was an enormous crowd of people. You see, the Lord's popularity was at an all-time high at this point. Look at verse 14 and 15. Verse 14 and 15. Here's how popular he had become. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is how popular Jesus was. That crowd of five, ten, or 15,000 people that were so enamored with Jesus that they decided, they had a meeting, they decided, we're going to make him king. Whether he wants to be king or not, he needs to be king. Nobody else can do what he does. Nobody else says what he says. I don't know if he wants to be king, but let's elect him. All in favor, amen. Let's elect him. We're going to take him and make him our king. That was, he was at the height of his popularity. Now, in verses 16 through 23, let me tell you what happens next. Again, I'm just trying to tell you the story behind this story. In verse 16 through 23, 
Jesus sends the, the disciples to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He stays back for a while, and then he decides to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee too, except he doesn't take a boat. He walks across on the water. Now, we can talk about that for a long time, but, but let me tell you something. If you see somebody walking on water, you might want to follow him. Right? So he walks across on the other side, and, and this large crowd, they start looking for Jesus. And they recognize, now he didn't go when they went. But we have the same number of boats here. When the disciples left, there was three boats, there's still three boats. How did he get to the other side? So now we pick up the story. Uh, look at verse 24. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. I love that phrase. They went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He says, I know why you're here. You're hungry again. You want to see another show. You want me to do it again, right? That's why you came. You couldn't believe what I did before, so you want to see me do it again. And then he says in verse 27, teachable moment, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And so in verse 28 through 59, Jesus begins to talk about this bread that he could give them. In fact, Jesus tells them that he is the bread of life. That he is the bread that could quench their hunger. He said, I, I know I gave you bread back there on the other side of the, of the lake, but, but I'm telling you, I am the bread of life and I can quench the hunger of your soul. So pick up the story in verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, it's interesting how the folks responded. Verse 41. At this time, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, no, you're not. You're not the bread that comes down from heaven. We know your mom and dad. We know where you came from. We know your family. You're not the bread that came. No, you're not. Why would you say that? Verse 42 is exactly what happened. Verse 42, they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? So there were some, look at my diagram. There were some Jews, not, not his disciples. But there were some Jews interspersed in this crowd. They saw the crowd moving from village to village. And some of the Jews who didn't like him began to follow along too. They were listening. They were watching. And when he said, I'm the bread of life, somebody raised their hand and said, no, you're not. I'm, these people may not know you, but I know you. I know your mama and I know your daddy. And I know where you were born. Now, you might have all of these people fooled, but you don't have me fooled. I know who you are. Pick up the story again. Verse 48. I am the bread of life. In case you didn't get it the first time, let me tell you again. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. 
But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Verse 52. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So verse 53, Jesus explains it. We don't have time to read it all, but let me give you two verses uh, as we set the story up. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you... Now, now, let me warn you before we read any more. This is going to get gross. All right? This is going to get gross. Verse 53, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You have no life in, in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, Jesus was speaking figuratively here. You see, when you eat or drink something, it becomes part of you. And that's what he was trying to teach them. Now, that's kind of the story behind the story. This is where our story begins that we want to focus on today. In that crowd of people, that we had some Jews interspersed, and they, were, they didn't like what, what Jesus had to say. But now this is where we pick up the story. So far, it's only the Jews who have said something against Jesus. It's only the Jews who have been murmuring and complaining. But in verse 60, in verse 60, it changes. Look in verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching who can accept it? Now, I want you, if you have the NIV, I want you to participate with me today. This is going to be really cool. I want you to say it with me out loud, verse 60. Now, now let me set it up for you. On hearing it, many of his disciples, not, not just a few, not just the one or two, not just a small group, but on hearing what Jesus said, the Bible says many, not, not just many of the crowd, not just many of, of the Jews, but many of his disciples... All right, let's read it together. Just what they said, beginning with the word this. Let's sit together. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is a hard teaching. The word hard there means it's not hard to understand. It's hard to accept. That's what the Greek word there means. It's not hard to understand. They understood it, but it's hard to accept. It's kind of, if you've ever been in college, you know what this is like. If you've ever been in college, you go to the first day, and on that first day in college, the, your professor hands you a syllabus. And you look at the syllabus, and these are the requirements of the course. Now, when you look at the syllabus and you look at the requirements of the course, come on, we've got some college kids right here in front of me. You've done this, right? When you look at the syllabus, the requirements of the course, if he's not or she is not requiring a whole lot of you, you say, yes. But if you look at the syllabus, and the professor is requiring you to write three papers and read five books during the semester, guess what you're likely going to do? Unless it's a required course, what are you going to likely do? We're dropping this baby. I mean, where is the registrar's office? Because you've got that, reg you've got that syllabus in your hand, and you're saying, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? This is a hard saying. Who's going to do this? Now, I've got to confess to you, I've done that once or twice in my life too. Because I've looked at that syllabus, I've looked at the expectations, and I thought, 
I don't want to do this. I don't want to stay in this class. I, I don't want to do these things that are required of me. I can get out of this. I can go to some... I, I, my roommate said that there's a crip course. I'm going to go find if that course is still available. Right? Now, so that we're not putting these guys on the spot, if you've ever done that, if you've ever backed out of a class once you saw what was expected of you, raise your hand. Slackers. There's a whole group of people who are following Jesus. Once they begin to understand what was expected of them, once they begin to get a better, better picture of the requirements, they said, this is a hard to understand. This, this is a hard teaching. You see, listen to this. Their commitment to follow Christ was limited to what they could get out of it. They had a consumer mentality. And lots of folks who follow Jesus today have a consumer mentality. I will follow him so long as it's easy. I will follow him so long as it's not hard. I will follow him so long as there's not a lot required of me. They wanted to follow Jesus so long as it did not interfere with the life they wanted to live. But if following Jesus interfered with the life they wanted to live then it might be time to do something else. In fact, they say in that same verse, verse 60, on hearing this, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Who can embrace that? Who's going to go along with that? Who's going to do that? In verse 61, Jesus, knowing every man's heart, every woman's heart, what we're thinking, not, not only what we say, but what we think, Jesus said in verse 61, Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? The word offend means, does this cause you to stumble in your faith? Does this trip you up? Is this too heavy? Is this too hard? Is this too much? Now, we come to the story, the main story I want you to get today. It's in verse 66. Now, before we read it, I want to tell you something. I understand a little bit about how the Bible was written, and I understand that the verses and the chapters were added later, that they were not added, they were not part of the original manuscripts. I I know that. I understand that. But it fascinates me to find out that John 6, 6, 6 says this. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You see, false followers will only follow for so long. False followers will follow so long as it's convenient. False followers will follow so long as everything works out the way they want it to. False followers will follow so long as I I benefit from it. There's something, there's a profit to me. False followers will hang in there if there's something coming back to them. But many, the Bible says, many of his disciples, not his apostles, but his disciples, many of his disciples turned back. Now, now, what does that mean, they turned back? 
means that they turned back to their old life. They turned back to their old ways. They turned back to their old beliefs. Oh, they used to believe that stuff. They, they were following him for a while. They used to believe what he said, but they turned back. They turned back to their old life, to their old ways, to their old beliefs. I mean, they loved the miracles. They loved the teaching. They loved the food. They loved the excitement of the crowd. But what he said was just too strange for them. It required too much of them. They decided to, to walk away and no longer follow Jesus. I wonder what that must have felt like for Jesus and for the disciples to stand there and watch hundreds or maybe even thousands walk away. I imagine that they stood there for a good while and nobody said anything. I imagine that they stood there for a long time and they just watched. Maybe the disciples looked at one another like, Are you going? Are you going to go? I don't know. What about you? I don't know. And they stood there. And they watched probably at least hundreds, maybe thousands, walking away. And then, then Jesus asked, a key question. He turned to those 12 that were left. He turned to the 12 that were left. And he said, in verse 67, You do not want to leave two, do you? Jesus asked, by how many? The 12. I, I take from that that maybe everybody left except the 12. Now, I might be wrong. Maybe there were, maybe there were some who hung in there Maybe there were some who stayed. Maybe there were a few, a handful. Maybe there were a hundred. I don't know. But he turned to the twelve. And he said to the twelve, You don't want to leave too, do you? And Simon answered him with, some, with these words. And Simon Peter was the guy who often said the wrong thing. But here he said something brilliant. Verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord... To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is such a relevant scripture for us to look at today. Because you see, the temptation to stop following Jesus is greater than you think. The temptation to stop following Jesus is a very real temptation. And there are at least four different times in your life when that temptation can surface. I want to make sure that you listen to this. There are at least four different times when that temptation can surface and you've got to struggle with it. Here's the first one. It's when you move. When you move. When you move from middle school to high school, when you move from high school to college, when you move to a new town, when you move to a new job, when you move with with the military, whenever you move, here's the problem with when you move. When you move, guess who you leave behind? You leave behind the people that you know. You leave behind your support group. You leave behind your church family. You leave behind those people that that you know. Or if you're just moving from high school to college, uh, you still connect with with those folks, but you're around other folks now that you don't know that well. Whenever you make some kind of a move, guess what? You're around people who don't believe the way you believe anymore. 
They perhaps don't follow Jesus like you're used to following Jesus. They don't believe the things that you believe. And when you move, you're tempted to stop following in order to fit in with the new crowd. There's a second time when this temptation can surface. And that is when you have to choose between Jesus and somebody else in your life. I have seen this so many times in 28 years that I've been a pastor. Where people struggle with my call to follow Christ and my desire to be with him or her. I've seen this so many times. You know what the Bible says about a Christian dating a non-Christian? You know all about what the Bible says about dating a non-Christian? But, but, but come on, come on. She's so pretty. Or he's so nice. I mean, this is the girl I've been looking for. This is the guy I've been waiting for. I, I'm, I don't have a lot of other people out there standing in line, but I've got this one. And in that time of struggle, you're tempted to say, you know, maybe I can come back to Jesus later. Maybe I can just kind of do this later. Or you know that sex before marriage is wrong. You know that living together is wrong. But you love him. But you love her. And you're probably going to get married sometime one day anyway. And so, you know, you kind of rationalize it out. I mean, you don't want to lose her. You don't want to lose him. And if you start bringing up Jesus and religion, you know that they're probably going to walk out the door. And so, you just kind of walk away from Jesus. At least for now. You can always come back later. This is a hard saying. Who can accept it? I mean, look at what the Bible says about sexual purity. This is a hard saying. Who can accept it? And so we decide to stop following Jesus, at least for now. There's a third time that this temptation surfaces, and that is when your world gets turned upside down. When you find yourself going through a a tough time in your marriage, or someone that you love is very sick, or you can't find a job and you've got lots of bills that you can't pay, and you've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, but nothing seems to be working out. Nothing seems to be getting better. In fact, each day things seem to be getting worse. And before long, you start asking, you know what? And maybe you don't say it out loud, but you're thinking it. God's not faithful to me. Why should I be faithful to Him? You're tempted to Do what it says in the scripture. Turn your back, turn back, and no longer follow him. There's a fourth time when this temptation will surface. And that is when you begin to doubt that you've been you begin to doubt what you've been taught. You go off to college as a freshman and you get into some course and and you've got a fresh you got a a professor in that freshman course, and and they begin to tell you that the Bible is is full of errors and the Bible can't be trusted, and and they begin to really make you doubt your faith. They begin to make you doubt the Bible. They begin to make you doubt the things you've always been taught, you've always grown up with, or maybe it's not a professor, maybe it's a friend or a group of friends who are planting seeds in your mind, and you're starting to think that maybe all of this stuff is not real, maybe this stuff is good for mom and dad, but I don't know that I, if I believe all of this stuff anymore. And, and they begin to plant doubts in your mind that Jesus and Christianity just may not be true. And then you find yourself grumbling like the people in the crowd and saying, this 
is a hard, hard saying. Who can accept it? And you begin to contemplate walking away. Jesus, who knows our hearts better than we know them, may be asking you a very powerful question today. And it's in verse 67. Same question he asked his disciples. Do you want to leave? You don't want to leave too, do you? You don't want to leave too, do you? And Peter, bless his heart, Peter helps us in this so much when Peter says in verse 68 and 69, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Now we're going to answer, or we're going to deal with Peter's answer uh, in a second part next week, but let me just start with verse 68. Underline that question in verse 68 in your Bibles. To whom shall we go? You see, Peter understood something that some of us don't understand. That is, if you turn away from Jesus, you're turning to someone else. And Peter said, so to whom would we go? Who would we turn to who has more to offer than you do? You have the words of eternal life. To whom would we go that could tell us that? To whom would would we go that could offer that? Come on and listen to me. I know that sometimes when the temptations are real and the struggles are hard and the doubts are very, just very present in your mind, I know sometimes you think, Maybe I need to stop following. I told you the title of the message is, Where Are You Headed? I'm going to finish it next week, but I want you to think about this question. Where are you headed? Right now, where are you headed? Are you headed in a direction that shows that you're a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, or are you headed in a direction that says, I may push the unfollow button? To whom will we go? You see, when you choose not to follow Jesus, you're choosing to put someone else or something else in His place. Regardless of who that someone else is, I want to tell you, it's a very poor trade. The reason I say that is in verse 68. He says, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Now, you might have some doubts right now, but deep down you probably If you really are a Christian, you probably know that what what the Scripture is saying there is true. He has the words of eternal life. And you may have some doubts that you can't, and questions you can't answer. You may have some temptations that are almost more than you can handle. But deep down, you know it's true, don't you? He has the words of eternal life. So, to whom will you go? If you turn away from Him? If you stop following Him? To whom will you go? Who else can offer you that? I I don't know exactly what temptations you're dealing with right now, or I don't know what struggles you're dealing with, or what the doubts are. But I'm going to ask you simply to memorize this question, and may the Holy Spirit of God use it this week as you're wrestling with those issues. To whom shall I go? To whom shall I go? Let's say it together. To whom shall I go? Say it again. 
to whom shall I go? So this week, this week, when you got all those questions, you got all those frustrations, you got all those doubts, you got all those temptations, you got all those reasons to unfollow Jesus. You got all those reasons to kind of walk away, at least for now. You can always come back to him later in your mind. You can always come back to him later, at least for now. You've got all of these valid reasons to go in this direction. To whom shall I go if I leave him? Whatever it is, whoever it is, it is a poor substitute for Jesus. Let me pray with you. Right now, as the Spirit of God is moving in this place, perhaps you want to come this morning and say, Pastor, I don't have eternal life yet. I really believe Jesus has the words of eternal life. I want to surrender my life to Him. We would invite you to do that. I would love for you to just come and take me by the hand today. And I'll kneel right here at the altar with you. And I'll pray with you help you invite Christ into your life because He has the words of eternal life. I mean, you've tried other things. You've tried other people to give you happiness and, and to fill that void in your life. But to whom shall we go if not to Jesus? Others are of you today are perhaps like the crowd. You're there, you're following heart of everything but then there comes that day when it gets hard there comes that time when you have to make some hard decisions there comes that time when you have to decide do I really believe this am I really going to be committed to him am I willing to follow even if it costs me something very dear to me to whom shall I go I hope you'll go to Jesus. Help us, O Lord, to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. Help us, O Lord, to, in spite of our doubts, in spite of our issues, in spite of the temptations, in spite of the pressures, help us to decide, you have the words of eternal life, and I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to cling to you, and I am never going to walk away from you because you have the words of eternal life. So Lord, direct us in this invitation. If there's anybody that needs to come back to you, anybody that needs to come back and be a follower of Jesus, direct this invitation, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.